evening, everybody. Good to see everybody show up tonight. Thanks for coming out. Uh, if you would, grab a hymnal. We're going to stand together and turn to hymn number 496. Hymn number 496, and we'll sing Victory in Jesus. <clears throat> First night of revival, let's sing it out. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's Bye. 
just a page back, number 499. Hymn number 499, I have a home beyond the river. Amen. Here we go. Oh, the blessed contemplation. When with trouble here I sigh, I will Go ahead and open us up in prayer tonight, brother.
Amen. 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 And Elizabeth Carl's group, you want to guys, you guys want to come up here and sing a couple songs for us? Amen.
Just a couple things where we sing our last congregational tonight. We will be having some morning services. Those are going to start tomorrow morning at 1030. So if you guys want to come out, uh, we'll be here at 1030. I think the, the plan, unless it's changed since last time I talked uh, to Pastor, is uh, two 45-minute sessions. And then uh, we'll, we'll call it lunch after that. So if you can come out in the morning, please do. And, uh, well, of course, uh, evening services will be 7 o'clock each night through Thursday. And if you need anything, please let us know. And, uh, man, I'm sure glad everybody came out. Amen. 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 Good to see you folks from Kokomo, Indiana. That's a place. <laughs> if you didn't know, it's a real place. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. All right, let's stand together. We'll turn to hymn number, let's see, 494. 494. I like this one. It's one of our favorites around here. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing it out. A friend I have called Jesus, whose love is strong and true.
I just want to say that I'm very thankful for everyone to be able to be here. Um, we weren't completely sure if we would be able to still have it due to COVID and everything. So I'm very thankful for that and just to see everyone here. I wasn't expecting. Um, it's a huge blessing because um, we didn't really get to have camp last year and we did get to have a small youth rallies, so just being able to see so many like-minded Christians wanting to come in to a revival to hear something from God is just a huge blessing. You done? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to cut her off. No, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's the Lord. Okay. 
Jesus on the cross Two thieves hung by his side One of them cried, save yourself And us, if you're the Christ And then the other turned to Jesus And made this humble plea Lord, when you come into your kingdom Please remember me trust the son and what he's done for me on calvary and his spirit lives within me and with his blood applied i'll have no fear for he'll be near when i cross old jordan's time and then i'll pass from death to life wake up in Washed in that cleansing flood And sing a song that no angel sings Thank God I've been redeemed I'm safe with every sin beneath The shelter of His blood I'm safe with every sin beneath The shelter of His blood Face out. 
There's this longing in my heart for His appearing. I'll gladly leave behind these troubles here below. For this journey has been long and I'm so weary. But Lord, I feel that I'm so much closer home. Just in Written with a hand 
hands of inspiration. When questions rise, I know I'll find the answer there in any situation. As I begin to read, it meets me at my need. Lord, I thank you for the book you've given, word of life, breath of heaven, perfect truth from page to page that you've preserved from age to age, from Genesis to Revelation, anywhere I look, every phrase leads me straight to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the book. Lord, I thank you for the book you've given. Word of life, breath of heaven. Perfect truth from page to page that you've preserved from age to age. From Genesis to Revelation, anywhere I look, every phrase leads me straight to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the book. Well, welcome, everyone. This is our second annual COVID, this is our COVID 2021 meeting. Uh, I was reading an old preacher. Uh, the other day, and and uh, he was just going down through revival, talking about enemies of revival, and and he said he talked about Ahab and Jezebel. And he said they cannot stop revival, and nobody else can stop revival. If if you want revival, you can get it. I mean, it's it's free, and this world cannot stop it. What goes on in this world is crazy. It's insane. Uh, he'd said something. That, I, was, I was looking for the date of the message, and it, it had to be back in the '90s, '80s, or '90s. And he sit there in this message, and he goes, the world is crazy. That was back then. This is a great preacher. Back then it was crazy. It's crazier today. But you know what? We still have revival. We can still have something from God. So I'm going to shut up, Brother Peacock. I'm going to turn it over to you. And uh, I'm going to sit down next to my wife. <laughs> Amen. All right. What a privilege to be back. I hope you'll feel that way when we're done. At least it's a privilege for me to be back, but it's always good to be on the right side of the gun. Just saying. You think about that in a minute. So, hey, Andrew, how you doing? Hey, Cassandra, graduate, special, Terry. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. I would uh, like to maybe give you something and it's probably not going to unfold in one message it'll probably unfold over a period of time i agree with your pastor i agree that ahab and jezebel can't prevent revival but you certainly can i agree that the world can't print revival but you certainly or prevent revival but you certainly can i don't believe that the church can prevent revival but you certainly can I think too often when we get the misconception of what revival is, we get this idea that it's 
this idea that everybody corporately is on the same page and everybody's unified and everybody's right with God and right with each other and now we're making it right with the world and then we go out into the world and you know we go bring in the five barley loaves and the two fishes as far as people are concerned and the churches get filled up, the offering plates get filled up, buildings get built and we then say we've had revival. But in order to have revival, if you look at what revival is in the Bible, something has to be dead and recognized as dead and beyond your ability to resurrect yourself until you're ready to be revived. In 1 Kings chapter number 17, the widow woman there of Zarephath, after that old preacher comes up from the brook Cherith and he comes by and the Lord said, I prepared a woman there to take care of you when you get there. And, and she does and gets the last biscuit and, and the water and so on and so forth. And after that's over, if you'll remember, the child dies. And it's not until the child dies that there needs to be a revival. Now, I'm not intending to try to pump you up and get you all excited and everything, but I do think that oftentimes we refuse to diagnose the reason or maybe do an autopsy if you want to use a fancy word of dissecting why it is that we're always searching for revival we talk about revival and yet we seem to it seems to always to elude us we we want it we talk about wanting it or we say we want it but i want to ask you this question when cain and abel were in the garden going back to the law of first mention when cain and abel were in the garden if you'll remember uh cain came first and brought his fruits and vegetables i've used the illustration before <coughs> And the Lord didn't respond. And when Abel came, Abel brought the lamb, the firstling of the flock, and he laid it there on the altar. And the Lord responded out of that Carolina blue sky and struck that lamb and, and ate up and gobbled up the offering and accepted the offering and placed for the sin for Abel. And, of course, Abel gets up and he feels regenerated and renewed in his relationship with the Lord because the Lord accepted the offer and, and the offering. And then... Cain's countenance fell. You remember the story, I'm sure. And the Lord said, y'all got me really confused. How about now? Okay, too many moving parts. So the Lord said to uh, Cain, he said, Cain, why is your countenance falling? Why are you got the poochy lip? Why are you upset? What's the problem? It wasn't that the Lord is going to get on to him right off the bat. He says to him, Cain, I want to talk to you about what the problem is. Now, obviously, God's God. He's omniscient and knows everything. Is that a fair statement? But he's asking Cain for a reason. And the reason is, is that he wants Cain to recognize what the problem is, not that God doesn't know what my problem is and your problem is. He does know what our problem is. The problem is, is that we refuse to recognize the problem. And then, secondly, I will say this just in a matter of setting things up, that when he comes to Cain and he says, well, listen, here's the problem. You brought what you wanted, not what I wanted. It's that simple. You brought the things that you wanted to bring that showed about what you did, but I told you I want a lamb. And Cain said, you mean I have to go see my brother to get a lamb? That would mean I'd have to fix things up between me and my brother. And I don't like my brother, and I'm not going to fix things up. And he says, yeah, but if you fix things up with him and get a lamb... Because it wasn't about the lamb, it was about him fixing things up with his brother. If you'll fix that up, 
then I will accept the offering and me and you will be okay. And the first opportunity you see in the Bible for there to be a revival, Cain misses the opportunity not because he did not know what the problem was, but because he refused to do what God told him to do. I'm going to ask you a question this week, if we could please, just for consideration. Because I don't think that unless you want revival, God's going to let you have it. This is a harsh statement, and I realize it's not a very uplifting statement, but you and I are as close to God as we want to be. He created us for the purpose to give Him pleasure and to have fellowship with Him. And it's a fair statement to say among Bible believers, we of all people know He went to great lengths in order to be able to have fellowship with the likes of you and I. And if we don't have fellowship with Him, it is not His fault. If we don't have revival, listen, I'm worn out with hearing the preachers here recently preaching 2 Chronicles 7.14. And I don't know how you get COVID out of 2 Chronicles 7.14, but if they can preach John 3.16, COVID. They can preach John, you know, 11.35, Jesus wept, COVID. Jesus was crying because COVID swept the world. <laughs> Lazarus died because he had COVID. I mean, I, 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 I just, it's, it's insane. The reason they threw Jonah in the ocean was because he had COVID and he wasn't wearing a mask. Or a snorkel either, and so the whale swallowed him up. I mean, you know, the Ninevites were going to get struck down because COVID. I mean, it it is crazy the stuff you're hearing out of the pulpits nowadays that revolve around nothing more than putting a hole in the bottom of the bucket and just literally draining you where on a regular basis you are exhausted and you don't know why. We, uh, for a period of time, were, quote, quarantined, end quote. We've all been wanting a vacation. And then we get one. And then we gripe about we can't go to work. We gripe when we're going to work. Then the Lord's like, okay, well, I'm going to let you have COVID, and now you can hang out. And after about three days with your husband and your wife, you were like, I'm ready for work to get going again. Because it kind of busted up the routine a little bit, Right? And so then the Lord comes and we took my wife to a particular doctor and she comes in and she's not having a mask and on. And I said, do we need the mask or whatever? She goes, oh no, I hope you have it and I hope I get it. I said, ma'am, she's a biological immunologist and that kind of a thing. And she said, oh no, I, could, I would love to be quarantined for 14 days. It would be wonderful for me. I said, could I quote you on that? She said, sure, I don't care. Everybody else thinks I'm crazy. She said, I see sick people every day. I don't wear that. Don't read anything into it. What she's saying is, is that I could use the break. Well, we had a break. And then you sit around for a while and you're exhausted and you're not doing anything. Some states that I've been to, they wouldn't let them go cut the grass unless outside because they were afraid the birds, the bugs, and the animals were going to get COVID from us. You had to wear a mask while you cut your grass. That's fine if that's what you want to do. If you all wore it, God bless you. Thank you for protecting our environment. And, you know, go green. Get Kermit on your side. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 
but a little over the top. I mean, that's a little tree huggy for me. I'm just like, you know, I'm not within a million miles of everybody. Wear a mask. You have drones flying over to see whether or not you got a mask and dropping tickets out of the sky and, you know, making sure, you know, when you mail them in, sign it. When you sign it, make sure you're wearing gloves. The point I'm making is, is that we were during that time getting some rest. We weren't going to restaurants. We weren't going to grocery stores. God forbid, they forgot people do still have to eat. So now they got people delivering groceries. It's like living at the Ritz-Carlton. Everything went delivery. You went to drive through They hand you your food. You're not going to restaurants. You're not going to gas stations. You're not going to grocery stores. You're not going to school. You're not going to work. And you're not going to church. And so now you're like, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I'm just wore out. You're sleeping 12 hours a day. And all you're doing is watching the bloodsucker on TV, the news. Fox and CNN and MSNBC and it's a crisis and it's a crisis and, and oh my God and what are we going to do and the world's never going to be the same and, and all this other kind of stuff and now here we are. I'm not making fun of you. If you were freaked out about it, I'm glad you're not freaked out about it and you're here now. Don't turn me off yet. This is just the entrance way into where I'm going tonight. But how come it is that we got rested and you're still tired? How come some of you look like right now, you're like you're ready to go see the doctor already or maybe you got a bad case of hemorrhoids or something because you just are like... That's... I'm tired. I'm... You just... Is he ever going to get on it? In a little while. But he's got to make you a little bit more agitated first. <laughs> you know, wish you had a respirator before long. It's like... <sighs> Here's the point. I believe that one of the things that's happened to us is we're not just physically tired. I think we're emotionally exhausted. Have you noticed how touchy people are nowadays? Hi, how are you? Who are you talking to? It's like... If you don't speak to them, it's like, you don't speak to me? Well, I kind of was thinking last time I did, you got mad because I did. What's your tone with me? Okay. Hi. Are you patronizing me? You're being sarcastic now? It's like, are you insane? I mean, there's like, I mean, what happened to that? Because people are very touchy. Maybe not in your world. Go to Walmart right now. Walmart's bad enough as it is. Go to Walmart right now. They're still wearing pajamas and house shoes when they're in there. At least they do in Florida where I'm from. And they text and drive at the same time in the middle lane where you can't get around them, you know, they need a sign that says wide load or, you know, something like that that's on them or maybe a little light going around them. Don't come down this aisle because ain't no way you're going to get by me. And they're texting and they're looking around. And when you go by, God forbid if your mask is down like you can see like the couple of little nostril holes, they look at you like, you're trying to murder me. (laughs) You're spreading death. You have skull and crossbones under your lapel, are you Hitler's army? Uh, No, I'm just trying to breathe because you're sucking all of the air out of Walmart moving so slow and I'm just trying to get around you. Could I please? You know she can't have any friends and she must not have a mirror because there is no way that she saw herself before she went to Walmart because it's like, lady, if those are pajamas, could we confine them to the bed? Why do you have to expose us to that now? 
And you can't get around them and you can't turn around because they got these stupid little arrows going, you can only go this way. I used to be a policeman and I'm real big on going the right way and the one way. So if I turn around and go the wrong way on a one way, I'm thinking the blue lights are going to light me up and then I'm going to get a ticket going the wrong way on a one way. So, you know, reput you so kind of thing. So I'm kind of like everybody has to follow along and, and get behind him. Here's the point I'm making to you. It's exhausting. Six feet. It's exhausting. It just wears you out emotionally, mentally, physically. And I submit to you spiritually. Spiritually, we've come to churches and it's like we're finally able to gather and it's like, let's talk about COVID. Let's don't. Could, we please, could, I, could I please go a day without blaming everything on COVID? Did you notice a bird fell? It's COVID. Bird could just fell right out of the sky. COVID must have got him. I just, it, whatever happens, it's COVID. No matter what, it, it's COVID. And then you come to church and it's like, well, let me tell you my idea of what's going on with the pandemic. Well, don't. I don't care. Can I just hear about Jesus for a little while and talk about, like, let's talk about the rapture. Or let's talk about leaving. Let's talk about getting out of here. You know, but, you know, I, well, no, let's, if, if we get the guy in the outhouse now, the pandemic is going to be worse. If we keep the guy we had, it's going to get better. Oh, oops. I'm just going to go ahead and say this and it'll probably thin the crowd and you'll probably be ready to take me to the airport for the red eye tonight. It amazes me how many Bible believers came up with the lesser of two evils theology in November of last year. And how many voted and said from pulpits across America that that was God's choice for the nation. When that man owns casinos and hotels and supports illicit activity has nothing to do with his politics. It has to do with a Christian saying, that's your idea of Christianity. I guess we can give the invitation and go home now. Let's go get a hamburger. But isn't it odd how we are when he says in the book of Job, skin for skin, all that a man hath he'll give for his life. I'd rather have that guy because it would be better for my bottom line than the other guy. Well, I'd rather have Jesus. Amen. You say, what do you think about it? What difference does it make what I think about it? Why would you waste God's time worrying about what He's going to take care of and recognize that my problem is not in this realm? But if you're here tonight and that's your realm... I'm here to tell you, you ain't going to have revival. That's just the proper diagnosis for the problem. Because you don't want revival. Most people's idea of revival nowadays is almost charismatic in theology. The person we want to be in office is in office. All the bills are paid. Everything is wonderful. Everything is fine. Nobody's in the hospital. Nobody's even sick. Nobody's got a cough. Nobody's died of any disease. The church is doing well. And I can go to church when I want to. And otherwise I'm not under any conviction. And everything's good. And the preacher, he's a nice little fellow. He doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't get too carried away. He does everything like I think. Revival for me is I'm the king or the queen of the house. And therefore I am in charge of everything. So everything is just wonderful. That's not revival. The biblical revival is when man recognizes that 
The problem is me and I am out of fellowship with him. Come to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. If you want to stand for just a second, I'm going to read you two verses there. Then we're going to go to Deuteronomy and then we'll be in a couple of places. Now, please don't turn me off just yet. I promise you I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm just trying to maybe bring a different idea, a different thought to mind that it's time that we might consider calling the baby ugly. You know, when you go see a baby, I know all babies are pretty. You know all babies ain't pretty. I've seen plenty of babies that ain't pretty. They grow up to be beautiful little swans, but they are ugly ducklings when they're hatched. Some of them are. I'm just saying. You know that's true. Y'all are like, oh no, every little baby's pretty. You ain't seen the babies I've seen. That's where I learned from the old preacher to say, you know, well, that's some, that's some baby, you know. But then after you said that, if you say that when you're in the hospital, they go, are you saying my baby's ugly? I'm saying that's some baby. I'm sure it's beautiful to you. But what is that? <laughs> anyway. So just for a few moments, would you consider as we start down the road for the next few days that maybe possibly we might need to dissect inwardly instead of outwardly. Instead of looking at what's going on in Israel and with Kim Jong and with whatever's happening in other places in the world or even in the United States or even in other cities, towns, countries and counties and those kind of things and in other churches and other denominations and all that, could we just pause this week and say, I need to do an autopsy of my own life. Better to do that now than have it done for you at the judgment seat. I would much rather find out where I'm at now because I have time to fix it than once I'm on the slab, there's no fixing it. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Pick it up if you will please in verse number 25. Make it 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover each other and those creeping up in false doctrine. No, that's another version. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. This is a scary verse who were taken captive by him, the devil, at his, the devil's will. That verse just says if you refuse to accept truth about yourself, that the devil has a chain on you and whenever he wants, he can yank that chain. He said, if God peradventure, if God will allow, if you will see the truth, then God will grant you repentance of that And if you'll do that, you can recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. But if not, the Lord allows the devil to take you captive. Brother Andrew, you pray and ask the Lord to help us, would you please? Chances where he's been able to do that uh, to me, Lord, and I, I 
thank you that you made you make a way out of that. And I pray that you'd help each one here that may be enchained by the devil today, that they would find the truth, Lord, they would seek it, they'd get a hold of it, that they would find repentance, Lord, and they would get their chains broken tonight. We ask that you be with the preacher, you be with this situation, Lord, be with the messages that he has laid on his heart. We ask for these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As you're being seated, take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 28. And if I could please, let me just elaborate just a smidgen on the passage that you just read. The passage ties in with Proverbs chapter 5 which says his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins and he shall die without, this is important, instruction and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. The Lord just said to you in 2 Timothy that if a man will receive the instruction about where he is wrong, not where the world is wrong, not where his wife's wrong, husband wrong, kids are wrong, preachers wrong, teachers are wrong, the world is wrong, the politicians are wrong, all that. If the man will receive the instruction of truth about himself, his own condition, this is a saved man, not a lost man. You can make an application, but we're not talking to unsaved people. The Lord said, if when I point it out to you, if you'll receive that instruction, you can keep the devil from ensnaring you. But if the devil ensnares you, one of the things he's going to do, if you have any spirituality to you in any way, shape, or form, is he is going to do everything he can to weaken you. Is that a fair statement? Do you ever feel spiritually weak? Do you think it could be possible because you're carrying a weight that the Lord doesn't want you to carry? You guys are Bible students. There are a lot of students in here, a lot of guys that have graduated from Bible school. Could I ask you a question in this being the case? The Bible says, take my yoke, this is Jesus talking, upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is, my yoke is, This is like charismatic-y. It's okay. Throw the ball back, you know. My yoke is, and my burden is, okay, so if I'm under a burden, is it his yoke? He didn't say you wouldn't have a yoke, and he didn't say it would not be a burden. What he said was, is it's light, because when it comes to the burdens in the ministry, and burdens for the family, and burdens for things and people we're carried about, care about, and we should pray for and that, that's the right kind of burden, but we have to recognize the Lord's carrying the weight for that, so comparatively, I don't have to worry about it weighing me down, and making me depressed, and discouraging me, and yet I see an epidemic, a pandemic, what a great word. A pandemic of depression, discouragement. I'm discombobulated. I'm disabled. I'm whatever D's you can come up with. And they're all of a sudden it's like, well, what's the problem? I'm just so, I'm just so, my hands are hanging down. My knees are weak and feeble and I'm just tired all the time. I just feel like I'm not making any headway. I'm not getting anything done. Everything's bad. I mean, we're like pig pen running around with a dirty blanket and this dust cloud's following us. And it's kind of like, it must be COVID following us. It's going to catch us. Okay, it caught my friend. My friend of 45 years. Say whatever, that's what they diagnosed, turned into double pneumonia. And within two weeks, he was gone. In church, healthy as a horse, no pre-existing conditions, probably 
10% body fat, not overweight, no asthma, no influenza, no uh, type 2 diabetes, no diabetes, no COPD, no nothing. And he's gone. Well, but preacher, you know, what could he do? What could he do? Well, you know, if he'd have stayed uh, quarantined, he might not have. You don't even know where he got it. They really don't know what to tell you. But now I got to do the full honors police funeral and stuff. And I got other people that are coming up there. And what do you tell them? He's a Christian. He's saved. He's in heaven. It's sad. He was my best, closest friend. Best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. We were that close. He's gone. But if I believe what I believe, the Lord knows what He's doing and whatever it is that caused to take place, it was His time to go and the Lord punched the ticket and He said, see you later, I'm glad I'm saved. But oftentimes we use those tragedies to justify our depression. And right now the devil is using discouragement and depression in epidemic, pandemic doses To weigh down God's people. And we are the ones that right now we should be going, Hey, thank God I'm saved and thank God if I do get it, I'm going to heaven. Thank God I got the most important decision made and praise the Lord. And instead we're like, well, what if I get it? I I don't know. You may make it or not. Well, do you know the statistics of making it? Yeah, but his... Statistics didn't work out for him. You say, why? Because you can't control when you go. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the statistics say. You got a 99.9% chance. I could be that one one of 1%. Right? Are you looking at Deuteronomy 28? This is my hypothesis. This, if I was going to write a thesis, I would make this my abstract. I would say, I think, maybe, possibly, I know what has happened to Christians in this age. And believe it or not, it's not backsliding and it's not smoking and drinking and cussing and and doing horrible things and going horrible places and all the things that we like to preach on because it's all outward stuff. I think the devil's smarter than that. He doesn't generally get us as Bible believers that way. But he gets all of us this way. Remember I told you if we don't receive the instruction that we wind up being taken captive. So what's the devil going to do? It weighs us down. Deuteronomy chapter number 28, the Bible says, verse number 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee and hunger, and thirst, and nakedness, and want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron, type of the devil, until he have, upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. What? You mean there is a consequence for me not serving the Lord with joy? Come to John 15. I don't know. Let's look and see what the Bible says. Preacher, I've heard all the messages on joy. Okay, we may not have heard this one yet. And that might be a little bit of a different spin on it. I used to love to hear the old preacher preach about joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Or Jesus first, nothing between you and Him. 
That's a great way to keep your joy, but Jesus speaks of joy. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 1 and verse number 24 that the purpose of his preaching was to increase, to support, to help their joy. Why would it be so important? Nehemiah chapter number 8 says, The joy of the Lord is our, do you know the verse? Strength. So if I don't have the joy, I'm like Samson with his hair cut. I'm like Popeye without his spinach. I'm like Superman that's been exposed to kryptonite. When I lose my joy, if I was the devil, what I would do is dry you out so bad with everything going on around you. And when the Lord said, where's your joy? You're like, how can you be happy and be joyful at a time like this? Well, Paul said we joy in tribulation. The Lord said to be joyful. Why? My strength is there. My cup is full. And if my cup is full, it's less likely to have the wrong things in that. So he says, and you praise the Lord for all things. Is that what he says? But it's almost like it sounds almost crazy. But if I were to tell you, this is the cure. This is the homeopathic remedy. This is the prescription that you don't have to have a prescription for. It's free. But you'd rather have a white coat. Stand up and tell you your medicine's going to cost you unless you go to GoodRx. $300 per prescription because if you pay more for it, it must work better. And the Lord said, no. The reason that you keep getting taken over by Fear and anguish and anxiety and depression and discouragement is because your cup is empty, not of water, not of oil, but of joy. David said in Psalm 51 when he is getting things straightened out between him and the Lord, he says in Psalm 51, Lord, make me to return, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, I've messed up and I've done some terrible things and I realize I don't have the strength I used to have because there's a hole in my bucket. But who wants to know about that? Let me make sure that you know this before we go too far here. The joy I'm talking about is not some kind of foolish happy. I'm, I'm happy because the football team won or the soccer team won or I won the ping pong game or I beat my wife at backgammon. I'm not talking about something temporary. I'm talking about the joy becomes literally that ever-flowing, overflowing river that is bubbling through your system that no matter what situation or circumstances, your cup stays full of joy. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm going to heaven. Thank God this is as bad as it's going to get. This is as close to hell as I'll ever be. But it's easy to get diverted, isn't it? Is it just possible that all of us have been taken captive by the devil maybe during the past year at some time? Maybe not you. Maybe you're like hyper spirit, not me, preacher. Never lost faith for a second. <clears throat> Knew Jesus had it the whole time. I mean, I, I, I didn't want to go into a crowd too quick because I thought I might meet Jesus sooner than I wanted to. But I, but I did believe he had it all under control. But I, I didn't know how I was going to pay my bills and all. But I never, I never lost faith. And I'm just saying... Now you find yourself maybe at this revival meeting or this week and some of you might be deciding, you know, something doesn't change this week. I've like pretty much had it. 
You know what's happened to a lot of our people? I moved through this pretty quickly. Just give me a moment. And I do have an outline. I, I know you're wondering, like, he's all over the place. No, I'm, I really know right where I'm going. <laughs> it's good I know it. I'm your GPS right now. <laughs> you're driving around and you're like, where is he taking me? We'll get there eventually. You know, an odd thing happened, and I'm just bringing this up, and you can't use this as a spiritual arm bar now. But COVID came along and just supposed it was our opportunity to say, you know something, Jesus is still first, and I'm not going to let anything interrupt my relationship with Him. And, and when it was safe, and when you felt it was safe, how come when it was safe, and when you felt it was safe, that a lot of people didn't come back? I'm just wondering if they just wanted to be gone anyway. You've thought the same thing. You're like, oh, no, he didn't. Did he just say that? Yeah, because I live in Florida, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> but haven't you thought that? That if that's all it took for us not to come back to what Jesus Christ bought and paid for and died for and gave us an opportunity to get closer to him, when people in other countries have wound up being machine gunned for gathering together, for a meeting under the threat of being taken to prison and executed. And when it was safe, it didn't say violate the law. And when it was okay to come back and spread and distance and every other pew and six feet unless it's your family and all that. When, and we should have been like just straining. Just, I, just, I don't care how to, I just want to go back. I don't care if I got to wear a hazmat suit. I can look like Bubble Boy, a good Michelin Tire Man. I don't care. I just want to go back to church and sing the songs of Zion and listen to the people singing and the preaching and man it sure will be good to get back to church and boy we could not wait to get back to school and get back to work but I don't know about that church thing. Well, who doesn't know you can catch cooties at church you can't get anywhere else? Everybody's always believed that. We have a different set of rules for church than we do anywhere else. We will not quit work when somebody offends us or parks in our parking place. But we will walk out of the church. I, I am done. I am so done. I am done. You hear me? I am through. I am finished. I cannot even believe that. What happened? That kid drank the water out of the water fountain for me. And we had an epidemic. And we should have been straining just for the chance to gather again. And we were like, yeah, I just get it online. It's the same thing. You know, yeah, it's, a, it's no big deal. I mean, there's going to be some idiot preaching to empty pews. I'll just, I'll just watch that. It's the same thing. And the Lord's like, my, my, my. Ain't that something? When literally not that long ago, they would burst into a church or a house in another country that was having services and execute everybody that was there or put them in prison. We weren't under that threat. I'm going to write you a summons. That happened a couple of times, but folks, that wasn't the norm. But the truth is, is that we would be willing to march on Washington before we would be willing to march to the church house. <laughs> Because you get a lot more Pavarazzi and press marching on Washington than just 
coming to church. Can I help you with something? Maybe, maybe possibly. I don't know. I had to look inwardly myself and go, hey, that's a lot of decisions to make. But if that's all it took to shut us down, here's what I did. I looked at it and go, okay, wait a minute. I can laugh and mock and make fun of them or I can go, how come they're not strong enough to see if God made that, whether it was made by a monkey and a bat in a wet market with a pig in Wuhan and it flew over here on an airplane or a duck and it got here and you got it. However it got here, it was made by him and he let it come over here. And we're always looking for somebody to blame. Okay, it's their fault. What, what, what does that mean? Nothing. We're going to hold them accountable. Okay. Good luck with that. They own about three quarters of you already. We're going to make you pay. It's like, you know what? We'll just write that off of how much you already owe us. Okay? But are you hearing me spiritually? Are you tired already? Because, I mean, this, is, this takes a little while. This is just the opening volley. Just a couple shots across the bow. Just an inward look. For me, I hate that look more than the outward. I hate to have to look in the mirror of God's Word and go, Ugh. I never go looking that I don't find something. Now see, you're like, oh no, not me, man. I've been reading my Bible and I ain't seen nothing in there about me and I don't know when. Now I see everybody else in there. Matter of fact, I've crossed out their names and wrote the other people's name in there. I mean, that's John if I've ever seen it. There's Ben, yeah, there's Precock and no question about that one. You know, but no, for me, I'm never... Let's look at John 15. This is the Lord talking. The Lord says this. Verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me, I love you. Continue in my love. If you love me, keep my commandments, or keep my, uh, keep my excuse me, my Father hath loved me, I've loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain where? In you. And that your joy might be... Why would he say that? Unless there's some secret to having that cup of joy full all the time. Now listen, when the Lord gets ready to go to the cross, do you remember what happens? If you'll remember it, and just let me give you those passages and you can listen to it later if you want to or if you're needing to get, you know, where you can throw up against like, oh, let me just listen to that long enough so I can puke and then I'll turn it off. But, but let, let me listen to you for just a second. The Bible says that the Lord, when He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, that He endured the cross. But did you know what happened before the endurance came? For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. 
I wonder if your King James Bible wrote it that way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say the secret to enduring the cross, the secret to Gethsemane is the joy being full, John 15, and that my joy is full and because of that I want your joy to be full because it will help you to endure the crosses that are coming your way. If any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me, right? So what I'm trying to get across to you is this. Maybe it's time we dissect ourselves, do the autopsy of the church and ourselves individually and go, you know what, maybe that's true. Maybe my cup of joy has kind of gone down a little bit. I use this illustration. When you go to the dentist, if you've got a cavity, they generally drill it out. And it has kind of an unpleasant smell to it and hopefully they've given you some Novocaine because when they hit a nerve, it is a come-to-Jesus moment. It, well, it is for me anyway. I mean, when they hit that, and there's nothing for me like tooth pain. I mean, it's like, uh, like hitting your 440. I mean, it is. It lights you up. Well, once they drill that out, they don't say, okay, well, we'll see you later. The rot's gone. It's cleaned out. You're good to go. How long will it stay good to go if you leave that hole in your head? The food that you eat is good for you. You've got to eat to nourish yourself, right? There's nothing wrong when you eat the food. But when the food sits there and compacts itself, compacts itself and gets down in that hole, that food eventually rots and then putrefies and then it starts causing the decay again and now you've got an even bigger hole than you had before. So what they do is, is they fill that not with a mercury filling anymore because now we know that mercury fillings have off-gassing and it's toxic to the body like eating too much tuna. <laughs> Don't eat tuna. It'll kill you. It's got mercury in it, right? And so what they tell you is, oh, okay, so we're going to drill out those because it's just leaching into your system and eventually what you filled it with was toxic even though it gave you some protection for a while. So now they use amalgam or whatever it is, fiberglass or super glue or whatever they put in there. And, you know, they, super glue is good for everything. It's great for cuts. I, mean, I, I shouldn't have said that. Go see your doctor if you're cut. But back in the day, it's a good first aid remedy. For, anyway, so, so, so here's the thing. They fill the tooth with the right stuff. And you know what happens? When you fill it with the right stuff... The tooth on the outside might ever have a problem later on, but that stuff will never rot. Joy doesn't ever rot. But when the cup is only partially full of joy, it makes room for all the other stuff to come in there, and now you've got a cavity again. It's making sense? It's like, get on with it. It's, it's just fun to set it up. Our cups are empty. You ever wonder why out of your belly doesn't flow rivers of living water? The brook dried up. There's no way you can pass that on to somebody else if you don't have it yourself. Amen. Let me tell you about Jesus. And everything he's done for me. My God, I never knew I had it so bad until I got saved. And now I know black and white. And I live my life in darkness now. And if fighting the world's not bad enough, now I got to fight sin. And I got to fight the world. And I got to fight the devil. It's just terrible. It's just horrible. But you need to meet Jesus because you don't want to go to hell. It's like, I don't know. You kind of feel like you're already there. Right? You've been met with people like that before, right? Hi, you want to go with me? Where are you going? I'm going to church. Oh, I thought you were going to the oncologist. 
You're excited about going to church? Yeah. Got some bird with the word from up in Jacksonville or something. <laughs> you just got to go because keep up appearances, you know. Help me, Jesus. He's going to say, I'm the problem. I know how he is. I know, I know he's going to do that. Right? I'm going to show you four things. Because I believe and have always believed after that old preacher taught me that more important than winning souls is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because it is your fellowship with Jesus Christ that keeps your cup full. The indicator that your cup isn't full is found in Galatians 5. We're not going to turn there, but let me just show you a couple of things. John chapter number 15. Preacher, how am I able to do this? John chapter number 15. Look, if you will, in verse number 10 and 11. There's your answer. If you abide in Him, He'll abide in you. Remember when Moses was up there on the <coughs> mountaintop and he came down and the Bible says that he wist not that his face was shining? Do you remember that? Do you remember when Moses was up there on that mountaintop that he had a great meeting with God and it impacted him in such a fashion that when he came down to talk to the people, he was speaking as if it were God because him and God were hooked up that way? You know what your Bible says? Your Bible says that your prayer life will keep your, your, your personal life filled up, your conversations with God about anything. Can I say this to you? There's nothing you can do or say that's going to shock God. He's seen it all. One of the things that Christians do sometimes is that they hide things from God on a regular basis. If you don't have joy, you might find yourself by a strange fire. Who would have ever thought Peter would not be able to... Now, Lord, I'm going to stand with you. He said he would. But it wasn't long before you know what happened to him. He's out there denying the Lord, saying strange things around strange people, around a strange fire is what the Bible says. And he was around a place because he's seeking something to counterfeit the warmth that he used to have when he was around Jesus. Just a real quick thing. Sometimes what we're looking for nowadays is a counterfeit or a replacement for the only warmth only he can provide. We look for it in work or ambition. We look for it in sports or cars. We look for it in monetary things. We look for it in things that please our flesh, things we like to do, eccentric ideas and thoughts like that. It's a strange fire, but we're trying to warm part of us. We're trying to warm the flesh, but we've replaced the real warmth. But we're looking for something. There's a hole in the pot and the joy that used to come from only Jesus has drained out. Amos 3.3 said, How shall two walk together except there be agreed? Enoch, in the second part of that passage thereafter, you get the worship with Abel. Enoch walked with God and he was not. The Bible says Enoch was in fellowship with the Lord and he was walking with God. Point number one is this. If you want to get back in fellowship with the Lord and you want to get the devil's chain from around your neck, you want to get his yoke off your neck, what you have to do is, is find out are you and him yoked up together? Now here's how you're yoked up together. It's pretty easy. If you read something in the Bible, he says you need to do and you do it, you're yoked up. If you read something in the Bible and you refuse to do it, you are not yoked up. Hesitation is rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now watch this, 1 Samuel 15. Stubbornness is idolatry, is as idolatry. So what's stubbornness? Balkan. The Lord tells you to do something, uh, you're worshiping an idol. And that idol would be the one in the mirror. Make sense? So step number one. Well, preacher, everybody knows that. Yeah, but you don't really know that you're walking with him until he gives you an order you don't want to follow. Amen. Like he tells you to go to the altar. You're like, I, I don't, I don't. if I go to the altar now, 
I was at a meeting one time a long time ago and I was preaching at the meeting and waiting on the other fellow and the guy's up there preaching and he was hammering the tar out of liquor. I mean, he was, I mean, every kind of liquor you can imagine from moonshine, you know, tater squeezings and corn squeezings. And he knew so much about it. I'm like, he's making it in a stinking basement or something, man. <laughs> I mean, he is like talking about it and you know, he's slobbering and I'm like, ah, oh, buddy, you better stop. You are, you know way too much about this stuff. And he's naming all the kind of liquors and he's naming all the kind of different kinds of things you get at the bar or whatever and all the different kinds of beer and all. I was very fortunate. I was raised around a dad when I said one time, I said, Dad, what's, uh, what is beer? And he said, you see that horse over there going, relieving himself on that rock? And I said, yes, sir. He said, look at it. He said, that's beer right there. For years, I thought that beer was horse urine. It's yellow and foamy. I hope I'm knocking the taste right out of some of your mouth. Y'all are like, I will never enjoy that again. Good, good, I'm glad. It's a hot day and all, yeah. And so we would go into it. Sometimes we'd be at a particular place and we'd go in and the guy would be sitting there and he'd, you know, and I'm like, he's drinking pee. Or, or, or urine, excuse me. And I'm thinking, daddy, daddy, daddy. And he never told me for a long time till I grew up. And I'm like, he wasn't telling me the truth. But this guy was going on and going on and going on and going on about the liquor, the liquor, the liquor. And sure as I am standing here, right in the middle of him going on about liquor, the Lord said, hey, I meet you down yonder. <laughs> yeah, that's what went through my mind too. If I get up and go now, they're going to think I'm an alcoholic. They're going to think he's repenting of his liquor and his drinking. And I said, Lord, I can't go down there. He said, I ain't going to ask you again. And I'm like, but Lord, he's preaching on liquor. I, I don't care. I need to talk to you. The whole time, it's like as soon as I got up to go, it's like everybody went. <laughs> and then you're. I always knew there was something about him. <laughs> Stubbornness is as idolatry, rebellion, sin, and witchcraft. Number two, real quick, only a couple of these. You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be filled with something. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians 5, first of all, he says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed with the day of redemption. Let all anger and wrath and, and uh, evil speaking be put away with you with all malice, and forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I can't expect the Holy Spirit to fill me if I've grieved Him. Cain. If the Lord had you go to somebody this week and fix something, could you do it? Suppose the Holy Spirit says the devil's got a chain on you, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, because you'll forgive others, but you won't forgive yourself. If the Lord told you to forgive yourself of whatever it was you did, could you do it? I had a grown man come to me two weeks ago in a place where I happened to be and he came up to me two weeks ago and he sat there for a moment and as he began to talk, his lip began to quiver like a little baby's and tears just began to flood down his cheeks, man, like coming down a mountain after a spring rain. And, he was, and I said, brother, what's the, what's the matter? And he said, man, I've had such a burden for so long because of something I did and he said I can forgive other people and I'm quick to forgive other people but he said you know something preacher I never realized I've never been able to forgive myself I said okay and I gave him the story about the little girl in the prison who wouldn't take Jesus up on his offer because she said he can't clean me and I said 
The Bible says He can clean you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as snow. He said, she said, you don't know what I've done. I said, He can forgive you of all sin. But you have to ask Him. You have to participate in it. He ain't going to do all the work for you. He already did it on Calvary. Now He's offering it to you. And that chaplain came over and she dealt with her. And, and when they got finished and all that kind of stuff and the correctional officer came to the back and told her to come on and they started down the side of that thing right there. I mean, ugly as a mud fence. I mean, I mean, sin had, with rough-shod hooves, just stomped all over her face and skin poppers and teeth looked like burnt popcorn and just, I mean, just emaciated, just a mess of a woman, just filthy and detoxing and greasy and just... Everything you can imagine. And she went walking out right there. The outward appearance hadn't changed at all. And I said, hey, 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 before you go, she's walking down the hall. Hey, hey. She turned around and I said, did you get anything fixed up? And she said, I'm clean now. Amen. I'm clean now. Oh, the outside hadn't changed. But she'd not only been able to accept his forgiveness, she'd forgiven, forgiven herself. Not just walking with the Lord, being in fellowship with the Lord, but it's being obedient to the Lord, being filled with the Spirit. That's not something spooky. It's not something whacked out. It's being filled up with the Spirit because when I'm filled up with the Spirit, I am less likely to have other things try to work themselves in there. Too often we spend a lot of time excavating the hole and not enough time filling the hole back in. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I gave that to you in the very beginning. Just don't go there right now. Let me get two more points out of the way. Paul said part of the purpose of his preaching was is to help them increase their joy. Coming to preaching, listening to preaching, keeping preaching going on a regular basis is like going to the gas station and putting gas in your tank. It don't matter how pretty the car is on the outside, and it don't matter if you got 327 Hemi under there with fuel-injected carbs and you can burn nitric oxide. If you don't have any gasoline, all it is is just sitting there as an ornament. And Christian, you have to figure out ways to get filled up. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. That's how you got saved. You get saved because of a song. You can enjoy songs now. I believe in sermons about him. I believe in songs about him. I'm, I'm old-fashioned. I like the old-fashioned hymns. I like seeing hymns out of a hymn book. We're living in a day and age now where everybody's trying out for some American Idol or something, even, in the tele, even in the, on the platform of the... It's become a stage now. It's no longer just an altar anymore, and we're standing on the altar. Now all of a sudden it's become a platform, and everybody's entertaining people as opposed to ministering to people. Or at least some are. I believe in Scripture. You say, why? If Scripture is not important, let me, let me make this point to you. If Scripture is not important, then why is it that when the Lord was tempted of the devil for 40 days, that it says, Him, He's walking Scripture. Is that right? In the beginning was the Word, words with God, Word was God. Is, is that right? Why didn't He just speak? Why does every time he speaks to the devil, he says, it is written? 
if what is written is not important. But nowadays, who wants to read the Bible? I'd rather watch YouTube. I'd rather play with Facebook, including you adults. I'd rather be a social media fiend with all kind of... They like me. They're fickled. They like you because you're in agreement with them right now. The minute you aren't, kill him. He must die. Unfriend or however you... This is, I don't know what I am. You're seeing a lot of that now. Um, in Florida, they're enacting a law that if Charlotte comes to school but wants to be called Charlie, the teachers have to call him Charlie and can't tell the parents, something wrong with your kid. She is a female, but she thinks he's a he. They're teaching now or beginning to teach in biology that you can't really say that it's a male and a female anymore because it might not really be a female. It might be a female that thinks they're a male, so you can't call her a female because she thinks she's a male even though she's got a pumpkin seed growing. You think that's, that's insanity, would you agree? And it's happening. Why is Scripture important? I don't know because Christians don't think it is. So the devil's been very effective at getting our minds occupied with other things. We will spend more time watching news that we have nothing we can do about than we will just reading the Bible. Just spend a little time in there. And I believe in sermons, I believe in songs, I believe in Scripture. Uh, I believe in sacrifice. The Lord's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And He's going to endure the cross for the joy that's set before Him, but Gethsemane is before Him. You know what happens there? Not my will, but thine be done. Paul said, I want to have the power of His resurrection. The Lord said, well, He left part of the verse out. It comes with the fellowship of His suffering. Sometimes your sacrifices are suffering. The Lord says in Philippians chapter number 1 is given to you on the behalf of Christ to not only for your salvation but to suffer for His sake. He said the judgment seat of Christ. He says, I give you these things that are willing to suffer. So suffering becomes a part of staying in fellowship. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And last of all, I believe one of the things that will keep your tank full is your service to others. And that includes winning souls. Where would you get that, preacher? Well, there's a little story in John chapter 12 and I'm going to close with. In John chapter number 12, you're one step away from Mary coming and breaking the box and becoming a memorial. In John chapter number 12, he's sitting down to have the last supper there with the apostles. That's the one where he's sitting on this side of the table and he says to all the apostles... All of you that want to be in this picture, get on this side of the table. You got it. It was a little slow, but it's like, that's pretty good. Some of you are like, what are you saying there? Like, you know, Michelangelo's painting. And it's a, oh. <laughs> and the Lord rises from supper. He takes off his outer garment. You want to pay attention, he doesn't grab a sword. He grabs a towel and a wash basin. 
and takes that pitcher of water and pours it into that foot bath. And he goes down and kneels down and he begins to wash the feet of a denier and a deserter and a devil. The disciples, the apostles. You all know the story. But most people stop right there. You know what the Lord says in the middle portion of that passage? He said, I've set before you an example that this you should do one to another. Now some doctrinal buffoons say, oh, take off your shoes and I'm going to wash your feet. I ain't washing your feet. She can. I ain't. And I don't want nobody washing my wife's feet. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are like, oh, I know whose feet I'd like to wash. I know whose head I'd like to smack. That's not what he's saying. We don't believe in foot washing, but we believe in the example. And the example is to follow what gave the Lord great joy. And that was giving of Himself for the benefit of other people. And He said, I gave you an example. You guys need to be doing this for each other. Serving one another. In the church house. Winning souls, that's great. But I think sometimes if the people we won to the Lord came in and saw how we treated each other, they'd be like, you know, I got treated better out on the streets. I mean, we were good there. You feel me? You understand what I'm saying? It's all good, right? You know how drunk is? I don't mean anything by looking at you when I said that. <laughs> You picked right up on that. It's kind of like, wow, really? <laughs> you know, drunks, a lot of them are just, they're just happy. You know, if, you got a, if, if they got a biscuit, you got half, you know. I mean, they're, they, they don't care about nothing. They just, they just love you like you are, man. It's all right, man. We're good. You're crying. Oh, I'm crying too, man. man. You'll be all right, man. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> they're so tolerant of other people. I'm not for being drunk, but you should be drunk on the spirit. You say, why? Sometimes you've got to be drunk on the Spirit to minister to some of the people they want you to minister to. But before you have a hard time bowing down to wash somebody else's feet, hear me. He's washing the feet of the people that are going to, in those feet, depart from Him. And He washed the feet of a devil. And He knew He was a devil when He washed His feet. And He said, Peacock, here's you an example. Lord, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what, I'll meet you in the middle. I'll take John and Mark and Matthew and I'll get those guys. And you get Peter and Judas and those other Bartholomew? Who is Bartholomew? <laughs> that John Mark fellow shows up around here. I mean, I don't, he's a wannabe anyway. Matthias? I ain't a Matthias. What's a Matthias? It sounds like a disease. Lord said, never mind, I got it. 
You want to stay in fellowship with the Lord? You want to get the devil's yoke off of you? Step number one is you have to look inside and go, you know what, Lord, I'm out here in the bushes because I want to be. Now watch and I'm finished. The prodigal says, give me the portion that belongs to me. And he went out into the far country, right? And when he had spent all the famine and the land and all the other stuff that happens, it's not until he comes to himself and he said, I have sinned against heaven and against my father. The repercussions of that is I am no more worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of thy hard servants. You see the, the ownership? I'm the problem. Do you know what made the father happy? You say it's the son coming home. It's the son coming home with the admission that, Dad, I'm not blaming you anymore. We're not here because God's done something to us. We're here because God's given us an opportunity to say, if you want to have fellowship with me, let's gather together. Come, let's reason. Let's talk. But most of us, you know what we may say tonight? Yeah, you know what? Those are some great principles. But I have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Yeah, and it is so far down there that it's covered up with all the sewage. You can tell by the billboard and by when you open up the sewer pipe. Because as a man thinketh in his heart so is he, and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And the Lord says the reason your breath stinks and the reason your billboard looks like that, your joy's empty. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to turn it over to your pastor to close the service as he sees fit. I'd ask you this question. It's revival time. Maybe something that we should consider that maybe the problem is me and maybe I keep getting put under the bondage even of besetting sins because instead of just trying to get rid of the sin, I need to fill up the joy. You're not too old and you're not too young to recognize, Lord, I need help. And God has to point it out, folks. The preacher's just a mouthpiece. He's just a donkey bringing a message. But if we could grab this principle, it would be a life-changing experience not just for you, but for those that are surrounding you. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for this church, this pastor, these people. Lord, help us to spend some time now in prayer and to talk with you about what's going on and let you deal with us as you see fit. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
that's that's what you need right there. That's what you need. I, as he was doing that, I was thinking about when I got saved on the back porch, I looked up to God in heaven. Before I got saved, I looked up there and said, hey, it's not your fault, it's mine. It's mine. I was just looking for a way out. Uh, I didn't get the Bible for four years. I, I got saved out of the King James, but I didn't know the King James was the Bible, the Word of God, for four years. Uh, drinking and smoking didn't go away for five or six years, four or five years, something like that. Drugs went away that night. That needed to go. But you know what I got that night? I got a bunch of joy. And my heart was, I mean, the night I got saved and for the first couple months after that, I was, I was so full of joy. I mean, I was about to explode. And what the Lord says, that's what you need more than anything else. The joy, the joy. Over in 1 John, it says, these things I write unto you that your joy may be full. That's what we need, brethren. We need joy. I mean, we need joy. There's nothing else you need but that. That'll get you through. That'll get you through everything. And people look at you and say, why are you happy? <laughs> Because I got Jesus, man. I'd rather hear somebody say, I got Jesus, man, than say, I got Jesus. We're going to start this again in the morning, 1030. Be here if you can. If you can't, uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow night we'll be back. But I'm telling you what, I, I, I'm looking forward to this. I want to get some stuff in my life to keep me going until camp. <laughs> I mean, to the next thing, or maybe to Sunday morning. I don't care. I just want to keep going for a couple more minutes. Uh, I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. It, if, he, if he chooses to stay 100 years, I don't care. I just want to be able to do what he wants me to do while I'm here. And the day he takes me out, that's his choice. But I just want to have a smile on my face and still do it. That's some good stuff. Father, thank you for your blessings tonight. Lord, help us, Lord, to look at ourselves inter internally, not to the ones sitting next to us or around us or even anybody we're thinking about, Lord, but help us to look at just ourselves. And let's see where we're at with you. Lord, it is all about fellowship. And Lord, your fellowship is sweet. It sure does fill the cup. Thank you for Dr. Peacock coming tonight. Preach it at us. Lord, I pray that you get us all home safely. Bless the fellowship here for the next couple of minutes. And then, Lord, get us back safely and give Dr. Peacock good rest tonight, Father. And again, thank you for, most of all, for our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, help us to recover our joy. And we'll praise you on you in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.